Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. Yes. Yes. Yes, we are. We yeah, are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That is not the right way of responding to me. That's yeah, right. That's right. Thank you. I was, welcome. You should put in some fisticuff noises as I as I come across the uh, de- the desk that we're at. And uh, are you making fisticuff noises with your mouth? Yes, yes, I am. I, I can't. I can't. Do, I'm doing I can't, I can't. I can't do this. <laughs> Bye, Seth. He's leaving. Hopefully, hopefully that conveys foot stomping away. The, the best part is that um, when we're recording on Discord, uh, it's all noise suppressed. So I just see Seth stand up and just start like doing kitty paws on his desk. <laughs> Excuse me. We record in person for all of our things. That's true. That's true. Sorry, we're not on Discord. So, uh, Zach, I understand that you may have played some video games recently. I have maybe played some video games recently. Would you want to tell me about... Uh, the video games that you've played? So I've recently been playing Doom RPG, which is a role-playing game, as RPG is known to stand for. Uh, This is actually the source port that was literally, like, as of the recording of this episode, released a few days ago. And it's a source port of the original Doom RPG, which was a mobile exclusive game. The original Doom RPG came out in 2005 uh, for flip phones, and also phones that ran on the Brew OS, um, which was a Qualcomm-based OS. Uh, This really shows when you're playing Doom RPG, because the game runs uh, with very small text, and the cinematics are in a very tiny, tiny box. However, the rest of the game has been properly scaled to look nice on your computer. This was a fan-made source port uh, of the game, and allows you to play it using original Java file of the Doom RPG game, and you can run it through the source port tool, which will build an executable. The game itself, the original Doom RPG, was developed by Fountainhead Entertainment, with a majority of the work being done by its founder, Catherine Anna Kang, and John Carmack, who were married at the time. John Carmack had also worked at id Software and worked on the original Doom. It's actually a really competent RPG game for a originally mobile exclusive title. Plot-wise, you play as a space marine, Uh, who must deal with a demon outbreak. You know what would be fun? If there was a reverse RPG of Doom where you play as a demon who has to deal with a space marine outbreak that would be fun you just there's like all these space marines hanging out in my home (laughs) just all these space marines invading hell no this is the traditional doom it's the space marine uh fighting off demons in i think that's the only doom (laughs) yeah there is some differences between this and the original doom uh there are npcs for one thing which um you can talk with they're mostly scientists some of whom are competent and others are not so competent one scientist you meet is sleeping he's just sleeping standing up (laughs) when you talk to him it says z similar to other rpgs the action in the game is turn-based so while you can kind of roam around freely when you do encounter enemies it is uh, randomly decided on the initiative based on the amount of enemies in the room and each enemy will either take an attack move or a single move action while you are in combat you are only also provided one move action or one attack If your enemies are in the line of fire. Uh, This is a first person RPG I should say. So we are playing it from a first person perspective. But you are kind of locked in the perspective of either facing left, right, forward, or back. So you can't really do like side to side 
strafing or diagonal movements like you could in actual doom it is very much kind of like an old dungeon crawler where you are kind of locked moving forward you can turn left but you kind of like turn 90 degrees and you could turn around you turn you know 180 directly however the enemies also cannot do side to side movements or diagonal movements so they are also locked in the same 90 degree movements that you are locked in meaning you can actually coordinate your attacks by making sure enemies are either in the line of fire or not in the line of fire which does help in terms of thinking how you are going to play out your style of combat so it's, uh, it's got a little uh strategy mixed in there it does i mean you can certainly try to play it like a doom game where you just charge in blasting but you're not going to have a good time because certain enemies will be able to attack you with one attack they might be able to do multiple amounts of damage by throwing multiple projectiles also you do have to keep an eye on your inventory in terms of your ammo consumption and you do pick up like money that's dropped randomly so you can buy additional ammo so when i see rpg in the title of a game i usually assume the game is a similar to a jrpg i would say this is more of like a dungeon crawler style rpg of like the old maybe even the old crpg of oh. western rpgs like a gold box yeah almost like a gold box with a doom flair to it or i or the eye of beholder more specifically probably yeah 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 definitely a bit more of the crpg style than the jrpg style it is like a full rpg in the sense that you do level up you have different stats that you um, get assigned when you do level up you can also purchase additional bonuses to additional stats so you can purchase like single upgrades to your um, agility to your defense to your um, attack there are also a variety of weapons all of the weapons you might find in doom pistol shotgun super shotgun chain gun rocket launcher plasma rifle and bfg are all featured there's also a fire axe which is an additional weapon you can use it to break down doors and a fire extinguisher which isn't really a weapon but you can use it to put out fires so that you can get through certain puzzles another cool thing is that weapons are distance based so if you fire your pistol five or six clicks away from an imp then that imp won't take as much damage as if you are right up against that imp you also are more prone for misses if you fire at a distance some weapons are better at firing from a distance such as a rocket launcher um, which does splash damage or the plasma rifle which has pretty good aim however you do definitely want to make sure you're coordinating your attack and also making sure you don't cause yourself splash damage if you're firing a rocket next to something that you're standing in front of i highly recommend downloading the doom rpg pc port uh, if you are a fan of doom and are a fan of rpgs again it was something i went into being like oh i've heard this is pretty good but how good can a doom rpg that made for flip phones really be and i was frankly i was like blown away i ended up committing myself to the entire game and enjoying it however it, i will say it's also a very short game i mean it was designed for cell phone usage so it's not going to be like a 12 14 hour rpg that you have to sink your life into you could make it a 12 uh, hour rpg if you played it multiple times or badly it would probably be like a 24 to 48 hour rpg for me i was just thinking about ignition factor um when you were talking about a fire extinguisher and using it as a as part of the gameplay i was just thinking of the snes game ignition factor where you play as a firefighter and use fire extinguishers that's a fun I think game. there's multiple 
firefighter themed super nintendo games because there was a there was a japanese exclusive one i think just called fireman oh so that might have been also ignition factor they called it firefighting in that's uh, what i'm thinking yeah so firefighting is a is a super famicom release when it came over to the united states they changed the name to ignition factor oh no but apparently there is also a super famicom game called the fireman which is separate so there are at least two firemen i I mean firemen are cool (laughs) i have not been playing ignition factor though Maybe I will be in the future. I was playing recently, uh, We Were Here Forever, which was a, a game that was developed by Total Mayhem Games and released just in May of 2022. Uh, it is a co-op puzzle adventure game where you journey through a series of puzzles with a friend. I've been playing with my friend Ryan, who we also played The Forest with. We have some YouTube videos. He's actually, if you go to our Twitch channel which we know we haven't been active in for a million years there should be some video on demand and if they're not they're on our youtube channel which is at classic gaming brothers and we played some fun games with ryan including the forest and also generation zero where um there's some fun screen caps that i think are permanently around and one of them is uh zach i think setting off a bunch of bombs yeah. While we were playing Generation Zero? We were trying to... So, in my defense, we were trying to set a trap for the robots. Oh, uh, we were setting a trap for robots. We found a giant propane tank, so right. I laid some explosives down, and we put on some kicking 80s music yeah then we were dancing to, yeah and then we exploded and uh yeah then i shot at the propane tank <laughs> and, then, and then we all died anyway generation zero nor the forest are what we were here forever is uh, we were here forever is a co-op puzzler where you go through multiple puzzles with your friend and try to solve them sometimes the puzzles are you can't see what the other person sees so you have to describe it badly uh you can use the in-game voice where it's a walkie-talkie so you have to go like breaker breaker this is what i'm seeing ryan and i we uh we cheat and we just use discord and uh we don't talk to the in-game voice but uh we do describe things poorly to each other and then we try to solve puzzles however in we were here forever there have been some puzzles that you solve together in the same room with each other which is unique because all the previous games you were generally split from the other person and you were in your own room solving your own puzzles with guidance from the other person because they would have the solution to your puzzle we were here forever has some puzzles where the solution is not immediately evident to both people and you have to work together to solve it which is kind of cool i've been really digging it and i'm looking forward to continuing my journey with ryan through it i do have to say that the game does require you have at least one friend and i believe you have to both own the game um ryan and i just bought the game it was on sale so we got it they they're not incredibly expensive i think they're all under 20 dollars, and um there's a few of them there were like we were here together we were here forever we were here some other thing they're usually together forever some other adjective anyway we were here forever great game but not the game that we're going to be talking about today no the game we're talking about today is also a good game uh we're also talking about technically two games today we are talking about super mario brothers 2 both versions uh seth do you have any memories of super mario brothers 2 i do i do um many years ago when i was but a child we uh, ventured forth to visit with family and these family members of ours had a Nintendo Entertainment System. Well, they had a Super Nintendo Entertainment System. On the SNES is the Super Mario Brothers All-Star Collection, which Super Mario Brothers 2 
is on and I played it and I was like this game is different than the other Super Mario Brothers but it's still fun like I didn't not not like it I think it was fun it was just a very different game and you weren't able to jump on like you know jump on Goombas or stuff to like immediately kill them and, and it was uh, kind of uh, interesting I wasn't like affronted like i was like this is not the game that i played i was like oh this is just a random collection of mario games in this one in particular is different <laughs> what about you uh i remember playing the u.s version of super mario brothers 2 through the super mario all-stars collection i thought it was odd i was familiar with super mario brothers and i was familiar with super mario brothers 3 because seth and i actually owned those for our nintendo uh super mario brothers 2 however i was like oh this is kind of odd you like pick up things and you throw things and then i was also confused because in the all-stars collection there was this thing called lost levels and i was like well, there's also lost levels what are these and why is this a thing it, it took me many years until i actually realized they were connected but anyway super mario brothers 2 is the sequel to super mario brothers which seth and i have not talked about despite the fact that we are brothers and i think we're pretty super but we're not mario the first game was released in 1985 for the nintendo famicom and a release soon followed on the nes in europe in north america and it was without a doubt very popular the game was actually considered a killer app for the nes and was one of the reasons people bought the nes in the first place as it was a pack-in title in japan alone it grossed over 72 million dollars in 1985 which adjusted was 181 million uh today and it would go on to sell 40.24 million copies worldwide and uh 29 million copies alone were sold in the united states so a majority of which uh, of 40.24 million was just the u.s release now to say it was a success is very much an understatement and nintendo knew they had a success on their hands so they got to work on a sequel and the sequel was going to be directed by takashi tezuka who had previously worked on the first game the reason why tezuka was going to be taking up the mantle as director was because shigeru miyamoto was too busy working on a little game called the legend of zelda there are uh, a number of employees at early Nintendo that are, I would say, staple employees that kind of really defined the late 80s, early 90s kind of Nintendo games. And Miyamoto, of course, is one of them. And Tezuka is another one. Now, Tezuka would work with Miyamoto and the R&D 4 team to put together the sequel to Super Mario Brothers using the same architecture of the original game. They also took some of the more difficult levels from the arcade, the versus Super Mario Brothers, and brought them over to the new project. The game would release in Japan as of 1986 as Super Mario Brothers 2 for the Famicom Disk System add-on. Now, comparing it to the original Super Mario Brothers is very easy. The graphics are virtually identical beyond some minor changes. Mario and Luigi have the same color scheme as they did in the original games. Mario sporting a red cap and red overalls and wearing a brownish shirt. Meanwhile, Luigi is uh, wearing a white cap and overalls with a green shirt and matching green hair because there were color restrictions so nintendo had to pick the colors that they were using and they had to commit <laughs> yes so i feel like mario's kind of like out of the two italian brothers like i'm picturing by super mario brothers 2 they're in like their early 40s right mario kind of jaded maybe the older brother of the two luigi kind of going through a moment <laughs> yeah just just green green hair green mustache dying his hair trying to <laughs> recapture his youth uh, <laughs> 
just how it is. Maybe he doesn't he doesn't want to become the jaded Mario. Well, he's just maybe he's just tired of people mistaking him for Mario. You know, they're like they're like, "Hey Mario." And he's like, "I'm Luigi. Can't you tell? What, you need me to color my hair green?" And he did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Mario's wearing the same brown shirt that he wore since Mario Brothers 1. <laughs> it started out white. <laughs> 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 and we know what he does for his job. He's a plumber, in case anybody was <laughs> unaware. Now, unlike the original game, uh, Mario Brothers 2 would go on to be much harder. Since, you know, a sequel should be harder than the original. For one thing, Luigi's control actually slightly different than Mario. He has a little less friction and he can get a little higher jump. And there would actually be gimmicks that were built into levels where you would have blind jumps where you couldn't necessarily see the object that you would need to land on in the next screen, warp pipes that would send you back a world instead of always forward, there would be some wind in some levels that would push your character, and they would be introducing the poison mushroom, which would kill you. And this was solely based on the fact that Tezuka was worried that the Japanese players were mastering the original game. And, you know, they've were they've decided that, you know, this is where speedrunning originally came from, right? You had all these guys and gals playing the original Super Mario Brothers and they were just beating it super quick. Yeah, it's one of the things that inspired Sonic the Hedgehog was people running through Super Mario Brothers and trying to go faster and faster. Right. Even today, people are still trying to get through it as fast as possible. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been watching a bunch of speedrunners play Super Mario Brothers. It's addicting. It's, it's kind of cool where um, Super Mario Brothers has a unique place in our zeitgeist where it is one of the games that I feel like is like a speedrunner's standard. It's like everybody yeah, does yeah. it. Everybody watches it. It's it's just a game where people are like, oh, yeah, of course you run speedrun Super Mario Brothers. Like, that's just a thing. Yeah. Now, Nintendo really was leaning into the difficult gameplay style. They actually labeled the game as being four super players on its packaging. Uh, this difficulty, however, was ultimately troublesome. You see, when the game was sent to Nintendo of America, their offices believed that it would frustrate the American market. And Nintendo of America actually opted to not release Super Mario Bros. 2 overseas, which is kind of a major thing <laughs> because this is the sequel to one of the best-selling games for for Nintendo at right. almost ever. Howard Phillips, who evaluated games for Nintendo of America, believed that the game's difficulty was unfair, and he worried that players would find it more difficult than other Nintendo titles, even believing it, even believing it to be more difficult than the quote-unquote Nintendo hard standard, which was what kids were calling Nintendo games. You know, back in the, the 80s, if you bought a Nintendo game and it was difficult, it was considered the Nintendo hard, you know? Right. It was hard because it's a Nintendo game. He thought it was more difficult than those games, which, like, Ghouls and Ghosts, which is, like, an outrageously difficult game. That is a legitimate thing. Like, Nintendo hard games, there there are games that I've played recently that I was like, this oh, yeah. game is Nintendo hard. Yeah, no, like Castlevania, Ninja Gaiden, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's all those games are, like, Nintendo hard. And Howard Phillips was looking at Super Mario Brothers 2 and being like, no, not even Americans would want to play this game. Now, Nintendo couldn't just not release Super Mario Brothers 2, right? They literally made the most money in America, so they had to put out a sequel. So they just instead made an entirely new sequel for everyone else but Japan. I think a part of that is also not only because they needed a sequel, but obviously Japan was getting a sequel. Right. 
And yes, it was the early 90s, late 80s. So it wasn't like the realm of the internet where you could immediately figure out when something drops in any single country at any point in time. News was a little slower, but news still traveled. Oh, yeah. And if the Japanese market got a sequel and the American market didn't get a sequel, the American market was going to be mad. Oh, yeah. All you needed was like some kid on the playground to have a parent go to Japan and bring him back a copy of Super Mario Brothers right. 2 for him to tell all his friends and then their friends to ask the parents and then the parents to call Nintendo. So Nintendo ultimately needed to release Super Mario Brothers 2, but they couldn't release the one that they made. So they had to do something different. Thankfully, during development of Super Mario Brothers 2, a game designer by the name of Tensuke Tanabe was working with Miyamoto on a different project, a vertical scrolling prototype. This prototype allowed for players to lift and carry objects as well as throw them at other objects. Now, originally, it was just going to be vertically scrolling. However, Miyamoto looked at the game and said, this should be more Mario-like, and suggested that Tanabe add in horizontal scrolling to the game. Tanabe did not like this request. He actually suspended his work on the project and originally decided that he was not going to continue work on it. However, he resumed production pretty soon after because he got word from Nintendo that they wanted to use mascots from the Yumi Kojo Festival for a game. The Yumi Kojo Festival was an event being hosted by Fuji TV, using original characters that were being created for the event. Reportedly, a member of Fuji TV handed the character sheet to Tadabi and told him, I want you to make a game with this. So he he did. The game he created became Yuji Kojo Doki Doki Panic, which roughly translates to Dream Factory Heart Pounding Panic. Doki Doki is a onomatopoeia for the sound that the heart makes. You can also find Doki Doki in Doki Doki Literature Club. Yes, yes, yes. But I, I guess like calling it Heart Pounding Panic is very much an Americanized name for it because literally it would be like Dream Factory Boom Boom Panic or like Thump Thump Panic because it's literally saying the onomatopoeia right so it's something more of like expressing how panicked you will be the game puts you in control of four characters those characters would be Amajin, who was a young boy who plays the most balanced out of the four uh mama who is Amajin's mother who can jump higher than her son and has a very slight hover at the top of her jumps is this starting to sound familiar to anybody <laughs> There is uh, Lena, who is Amajin's girlfriend, who is slow in terms of her movement, but can hover briefly. And Papa, the strongest of the characters, who can run fast, but has low jumps. The characters themselves were designed against an Arabian Nights theme with Amajin and Papo wearing turbans. The rest of the characters in the game were created directly by Nintendo for the project. The game itself tied into the festival with masks and the game being connected directly to the masks that were featured in the festival. The plot of Doki Doki Panic follows the four characters being pulled inside of a storybook, which contains the dream world of Moo. In Moo, the people of the world have created the dream machine uh, so that they can always have peaceful dreams. However, the evil Mamu, who's a giant frog-like creature who hates vegetables, stole the dream machine and began creating monsters. The four characters are pulled inside the storybook after two young twins, Pokey and Peaky, are kidnapped by Mamu. So it's up to you to stop Mamu, find the dream machine, 
and save the twins. Now, at some point, while Doki Doki Panic was being developed and was going to be put out, the whole debacle with Super Mario Bros. 2 was also occurring, where Nintendo of America was not wanting to release the Japanese Super Mario Bros. 2. So, Minoru Arakawa, who was the then president of Nintendo of America, saw Doki Doki Panic and said, let's turn that into a Mario game. So, they did so. Uh, in fact, the Nintendo R&D 4 team were tasked with a conversion project to turn Doki Doki Panic into Super Mario Bros. 2. To do this, they modified the characters to the likeness of Mario. So, Imagen became Mario, Mama became Luigi, Lena became Princess Toadstool, or Peach, and Papa became Toad. Now, due to the rework of sprites, something interesting happened. It actually marks the first time that Mario and Luigi were noted to be of different heights, which remains a staple in Mario games to this day. So in every Mario game that you play, Luigi's just a little taller than Mario, and that comes from Doki Doki Panic being reworked as Super Mario Bros. 2. Beyond these changes, other minor tweaks were made. The reason the tweaks were overall minor was because Doki Doki Panic already borrowed a lot from Mario. If you go back in time, back to the original comment, back from Miyamoto being like, make this more Mario-like. Yes. <laughs> the uh, invincibility item in the game was the Starman from Mario. A lot of the sound effects were from Mario. There were warp zones and the soundtrack was composed by Mario composer Koji Kondo. Some changes were made to the gameplay, however, in the conversion, such as removing the requirement requirement of completing the game with all four characters. They also added the ability to run by holding the B button, and other minor graphical changes were made, such as turning a mask that could slide across the ground into a Koopa shell and replacing heart pickups with the Mario mushroom. The story also changed. Mario has a dream where he sees a mysterious staircase that leads him to the dreamland of Subcon, which is ruled by the tyrant Wart. He wakes up and tells Luigi Toad and Princess Toadstool of his experience, and to his surprise, they don't say that he's crazy, but instead say they all had the same dream too. And so they decide to go on a picnic, because why not? <laughs> and while they go on that picnic, they discover the mysterious stair staircase inside the cave, and at the top, they enter the world of Subcom through a magical doorway. Tossed into the new world, they must now defeat Wart. Also, since they go up this mysterious staircase and they go through a magical doorway at the top, that's why in the beginning of the freaking game, you start at a door that's just sitting out in the middle of the sky and you yeah. fall. And you drop, yeah. Yes, yeah. and you drop. When And dropping and that scrolling effect is unique for Mario game at this time um, and, and unique for an NES game as well. This vertical scrolling was something that was pretty cool and pretty unique and that's why they kind of immediately introduce it in the first, like you walk in and there it is, vertical scrolling. <laughs> I think what's kind of cool is this is also one of the first Mario games to have a really intricate plot, if anything. Um, I mean, the original Mario Brothers has a pretty basic plot. Koopa has kidnapped the princess. You must save the princess. But there's really not a lot of like detail in like you know mario travels to the mushroom kingdom after being sucked down a toilet and that's why he's here in any case in terms of super mario brothers 2 the american version as a spoiler it is revealed that the entire game was also a dream mario awakens at the end of the game and as one does 
promptly goes back to sleep. Super Mario Brothers 2, the version we got, was released on October 9th, 1988 in the United States and was just called Super Mario Brothers 2. However, a version was also released in 1992 for the Famicom in Japan, and that goes under the name Super Mario USA. Well, should we do the number, Seth? We should. So there are two games that we have to look at, Super Mario Brothers 2 and Super Mario Brothers 2. So the first Super Mario Brothers 2, the one that was released in Japan that would go on to become the Lost Levels in the All-Star release, how did it perform on release? Well, as expected, uh, the game did fairly well. Uh, Sold about 2.5 million copies in Japan. Critics viewed the game as an expansion of the original, though noted the difficulty that was presented as being a challenge. Uh, The 2010 book, 1001 Video Games You Must Play Before You Die, states the game is familiar and mysterious, but also simply rather unfair. So if you are a speedrunner who has really beaten out the original Super Mario Brothers and you're interested in a challenge, check out Super Mario Brothers 2. And for us, it would be the Lost Levels. Or you can just find the Japanese version. Yeah. And it does not require translation because it's a Super Mario Brothers game. All the text is also already in English. So like, right. where it says Mario, it just says Mario. So Right. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's really just... An, you don't need the lost levels version to play it you can just find however you find maybe a rom who knows yeah yeah i mean there are like reproduction copies of the game that will run on nes hardware and if i mean if you have a disc system you can certainly play it on the disc because i'm pretty sure the disc is like a 20 dollar disc so also i'm like pretty sure it's on switch online all stars is for sure but i know switch online has japanese famicom uh like fds releases so i'm pretty sure it's there anyway Oh, Doki Doki Panic. Yeah. Was released for a festival. Yes. Did they go on to release it commercially? Oh, yes, it was. Did it sell well? So the like articles I could find were Japanese sourced articles um, that I translate using Google Translate into English. And I just I didn't see any sale information on those articles. So it's very possible that people bought the same game twice just with a Mario skin. <laughs> yes, very true. <laughs> <laughs> like they, they could have bought Doki Doki Panic when it came out as Doki Doki Panic and then when they brought over Super Mario Brothers the US version they bought that thinking it was a different game and then found out that it was Doki Doki Panic in disguise yeah it was like a slightly easier version of Doki Doki Panic because it has a run button now <laughs> and you don't have to beat the game four times Nintendo is the king of selling the same game twice <laughs> and making bank anyway for the US release release of Super Mario Brothers 2, it was also a success. The game was a top-selling cartridge in the U.S. for 14 consecutive months, which is impressive because that is more than a year. Um, and with games coming out pretty regularly, maintaining it one of the top spots for um, over a year is a pretty strong sticking power. By 1990, the game had sold 3.5 million copies in the U.S. and 7.46 million worldwide. To date, it is the fourth highest selling game ever released on the Nintendo Entertainment System. It is also the best selling standalone Nintendo Entertainment System game that was never a pack-in game. So that's impressive. Literally, this was the other game that people bought for the NES. Right, yeah. You bought an NES, came with Super Mario Brothers, you played Super Mario Brothers, you beat it, and you said, man, I want some more Super Mario Brothers. You went to the store, you bought Super Mario Brothers 2, and you probably went, this is different. (laughs) (laughs) Huh. 
this is a little disappointing, but I'll play it. <laughs> oh, it's still pretty good. <laughs> and then Mario Brothers 3 came out, and you're like, wow, this is this is probably the greatest game ever. Now, despite the difference in gameplay, the game actually was received pretty positive reviews from critics during the time. Ace Magazine scored it a 910 out of 1,000, which seems <laughs> unnecessary. Super weird scoring system. Yeah, apparently Ace really wanted to make sure that they their numbers were very large cvg gave it a 97 percent, and the games machine scored it a 92 percent. so overall an a game by yeah. nintendo that was really just a reskin of a game they already released <laughs> Now, in terms of legacy, the Japanese Super Mario Bros. 2 later would have some of its assets reused for a special tie-in game called All Night Nippon Super Mario Bros., which was a tie-in with the Japanese radio show All Night Nippon. Uh, this is a entirely new Mario Bros. game that features Japanese idols, recording artists, and DJs as various enemies and items to collect. It is a very weird thing to exist. Um, it had a very limited run, and it is one of those examples of nintendo like partnering with some random company and being like let's make a game together and selling it in limited quantities the japanese version also received its first release in the united states through the super mario all-stars collection under the name the lost levels as we alluded to uh, this version was given a 16-bit makeover to match the super nintendo and minor alterations were made to the game's collision mechanics the u.s super mario brothers 2 left a deeper impact on the mario universe one that you can still see today characters like birdo shy guy pokies and babams that are all mainstays in the mario universe got their start in super mario brothers 2 and they're still in the mario universe today these were also characters that all originally appeared in doki doki panic these weren't added for when the mario conversion happened things like uh luigi's hover that he can do when he jumps or princess toadstool's ability to hover mid-air also retained in future games outside of this the game was also included in the super mario all-stars and a special japanese exclusive version of the game was aired as part of the Satellaview satellite program in Japan with an accompanying audio drama and a brand new soundtrack. So here's the wild thing to me. Japan got all these cool things with their Satellaview program. That's the US version of the game that we did not get those cool things with. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have sold. No, it wouldn't have. People don't want audio dramas to go with their games. No, no. I do think it's fun though. So if you buy the Japanese version of Super Mario All-Stars, which I own, it's like a few bucks cheaper than the US release. So that's why I got it. They do call Super Mario Brothers 2 Super Mario USA and have lost levels as Super Mario Brothers 2. So they swap it for you within the, the menu, which is kind of a fun little thing to see. Super Mario Brothers 2 was also re-released as a launch title for the Game Boy Advance as Super Mario Advance. Uh, this also included voice acting and other graphical changes. It's more closely based on the All-Stars version, but they did also make some minor tweaks to the palette to uh, accommodate for the fact that the Game Boy Advance has a terrible uh, lack of backlight. So they made the game slightly brighter looking, uh, which was a smart choice. And yeah, it's it's also available on Nintendo Switch Online, and uh, you can find it in a million different places. So that was our uh, our Super Mario Brothers 2 episode. I'm sure we'll eventually get to the original Super Mario Brothers. Maybe we'll do Super Mario Brothers, then we'll go to Super Mario Brothers 3. Who knows? We're... Super Mario Brothers 3 is wild. It was promoted using the movie The Wizard. We'll get there. Don't worry, folks. Anyway, we're going to get into our retro rewind segment. That's right. The Byway Pass is still on vacation. This thing... 
That takes more vacations than I do. And what's off um, the whole summer? It, maybe it's on. Maybe it's having a baby. The byweight pass, Junior. Again, the retro rewind segment is just a segment Seth and I do, where I have given Seth a retro game. He's given me a retro game, and now we're going to talk about said retro game. Wait, before we get into this, we want to do a new thing at the end of the retro rewind. We're adjusting it slightly due to some listener feedback. A dedicated listener to the show who Our will dad. remain nameless. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I didn't say his name. That's true. Suggested that we tell you, the listener, what games that we're going to talk about next week prior to it coming out so you can play the game as you could have your own retro rewind in the event that you want to go back in the past to play games with us as well and you can have your own opinions when we get together again so then when you're listening to us you can pretend to be part of the conversation and we'll get to a moment where we'll say and what about you listener and we won't really give you any chance to speak because we're a podcast so we'll just keep rolling anyway the game that Seth gave me to talk about last week was Scooby-Doo Mystery for the Sega Genesis. Now, Scooby-Doo Mystery was originally released in 1995 and developed by Illusions Gaming Company. Uh, the Sega version was. The Super Nintendo version was developed by a different company. But I didn't play that, so it's not getting any attention today. Uh, Scooby-Doo Mystery, the Sega version, is an adventure game. And by adventure game, I mean like a traditional PC adventure game, like a point-and-click adventure game. On the Sega. On the Sega, which means I got to play it on real hardware because it's for the Sega. That's why I give you the Sega games. I know, I love it. Scooby-Doo Mystery is, again, an adventure game where you play as Shaggy and Scooby. Uh, you don't get to play as Shaggy or Scooby. You're pretty much just playing as Shaggy and Scooby follows you around. And I want to say, minor complaint, sometimes I thought Scooby was trying to give me a hint because he would walk over to something and like point at it and then look at the screen and then point at it. No, he just does that to random objects in the game. Even if you already collected them or, or interacted with them. He's a dog. In Scooby-Doo Mystery, uh, you actually play through two different mysteries that are kind of uh, structured almost like two segments of a classic Scooby-Doo TV episode. In the first mystery, you must discover who the ghost is that haunts the Blake Hotel, which is owned by Daphne Blake's uncle. In the beginning of the mystery, you like arrive at the Blake Hotel and everyone's all excited to stay at the Blake Hotel when suddenly uh, Fred, Daphne, and Velma get separated from you and you must now figure out why there's a ghost haunting the hotel. Now, in the second mystery, you must track down a ghost that haunts a carnival. Uh, this one also features a fun mini game where you pilot a bumper car and you have to uh, bump into the ghost who's also piloting the bumper car. I will say that the mysteries do feel like a classic Scooby-Doo episode. Uh, they have nice familiar music. They have that famous hallway run sequence where Scooby and Shaggy run through a whole bunch of doors. And sometimes they show up in the wrong door that they ran through, you know, like they go through a door, but then they come out the exact same door they ran through or they like run through a door and then they come out like a hole in the ground or something silly you know what i'm talking about and also the endings of all the mysteries wrap up very nice and neatly where you find out that it was someone who was like you previously met is involved and they're doing it for some weird financial scam a main complaint i would have about the game is that it does suffer from an issue that a lot of adventure games suffer from and that is sometimes objects you need to collect are either too small to see or look like they're part of the background or foreground and you cannot tell they're collectible and that is annoying i <laughs> like for example i didn't know i had to collect a pan that was sitting in the foreground of a kitchen i was in because it literally looked like it was part of the foreground so it looked like 
you could not interact with it. But no, you could interact with it, and it is required to beat the game, because all of the objects are required to beat the game. So that is a thing I had a little issue with. Also, the controls are incredibly clunky, because you are playing a point-and-click adventure game using a Sega Genesis controller. There is some context-sensitive items. So if you hover over certain items, it will automatically align you to either the like open command or the look at command. However, it doesn't do this for things like pick up or talk. So I honestly spent like the first five minutes of the game just opening doors and not realizing you could pick up items right away and also not realizing you can talk to people because I kept looking at them and Shaggy would be like, that sure is a guy over there. It's like, great Shaggy, why don't you say something to him and not just talk about him in front of his face but no you have to like you have to click on the button to interact with the menu and then you have to scroll down your cursor using the genesis controller to the menu item and click the correct button to interact with that menu item and then scroll back your cursor up to the screen and choose the thing that you want to interact with and make sure you're choosing the right thing because if you choose the wrong thing you have to repeat this entire process that is honestly the most annoying part there's a quick time event in this game that that requires you to do the sequence incredibly fast so that you can pull a lever to have a break on a uh, roller coaster and it was so annoying and I had to repeat that like one section like four or five times with all these complaints I will say it's a fun game I actually really enjoyed it so does it hold up yeah I think so if you like adventure games if you like Sega games give it a shot I have a, I have a question for you did you remember that you had a Sega mouse oh I do but I don't know if it works I should have tested it to see if it works yeah oh why did i do that oh because you don't ask your brother about things. i literally have my sega mouse next to my desk like i feel like a point and click like adventure my... would be easier to play with the mouse yeah the sega mouse is very specific on what games it works with and it'd be really funny if it does not work with this game i'll have to check probably doesn't it probably doesn't no you're right anyway now speaking of adventure games uh seth your game for next week is going to be clock tower for the super famicom which is a horror adventure game now fans if you want to play at home uh, clock tower is a japanese exclusive but there is a english translation available so if you google clock tower english translation you'll probably find it anyway seth what game did i give you I forget. So you gave me a game called Little Nemo, the Dream Master. Little Nemo, the Dream Master, is a platformer that was released on the NES in 1990 by Capcom. Yeah, you play as a child that's very excited to go to bed and go to a mysterious dream world. There is a, an intro movie where you see Little Nemo and he's hanging out in his house and a airship comes and he is told that the princess needs him to come to the dream world. And he says, I really don't think this is a good idea. And they say, we have candy. And he says, great, I'm in. What a good role model. Yes, what a great role model. And then every episode is a different dream world. And every episode begins with him running into his bed and like vaulting in excited to, I assume, go to bed. So my assumption is that it takes place over multiple days where he is sleeping and excited to go to the dream world. It is a platformer where you play as a child. Uh, since it's on the NES, you have two buttons, one to jump and the other to 
throw candy, and that's it. You have uh, a three little life bars at the bottom. You have your candy. You have to collect keys, and you have you initially start off with like three life on top of the three life bars. And uh, when you run out of lives, you have to restart the level, and you have to find all the keys. I think there's like six or eight or something in the first level. You have to find them all, and then you can unlock the locks that are just next to the door. They're just like a stack of locks. I got a lot of Z2 vibes while playing this game. So, which Zelda 2 vibes for everyone on the NES. Uh, that's what I got a lot of vibes when I was playing this game. It has a score of music that is fun uh, the first couple of times you hear it. Then it repeats multiple times as in infinite times. So it ends up being a little bit annoying. You also can't throw candy too particularly far and everything will kind of uh hurt you pretty immediately you also are told by some strange rabbit dream creature that if you feed candy to monsters you can do stuff with them not all monsters can be fed candy and it's not immediately prevalent which ones do feed candy to and so i spent a lot of time figuring out which monsters can eat the candy and then you feed them till they go to sleep and then you climb into inside them or on top of them and then either use them as a riding device or you use them as a suit depending on the animal there is a, a frog that you climb in top inside of and it, you essentially use as, him as a frog suit and then he disappears when you're discarded him while you're a frog you can jump extra high as frogs do and you can kill enemies that you otherwise couldn't kill which is convenient you'll need the frog suit to find all the keys as will you need to discard the frog suit to take over a mole suit where you are allowed to dig. But you are not allowed to jump. You are only allowed to dig. Also, the mole can't kill anything. It really, apart from digging, kind of useless. And then there is a gorilla suit, which this animal you ride. The mole and the frog you possess, but the gorilla you ride on. And the gorilla will take you up trees. And that's all it does for you. Well, that's nice of that gorilla. The game is Nintendo hard, as we discussed earlier. I made it through middle of the second level where I was like, I'm done with this. <laughs> the graphics are really nice, though, for Nintendo era. And it plays well. So if you're in for a hard platformer, then this might be it for you. Getting to understand the game and how it works is kind of half the battle. It is a more cutesy game. So I imagine that people who bought this game because it was cute and they wanted to give it to their child were disappointed when it was very difficult. In fact, many of its reviews at the time came out and said, this game is really tough. And it almost feels like it was a little mismarketed in regards to, hey, play this cute game. Also, it's basic and it is difficult. Does it hold up? That's a good question. Is it the best platformer on the NES? No. If you have played through all of the platformers on the NES and you want to play some type of collecting platforming type of game, will it scratch that itch because you haven't played Little Nemo? Maybe. Yeah, sure. If that's what you're into, it, you don't need to run out and get the game based on my recommendation. I want to make a clear note that this is not a bad game. It is a game of its time. I, I think it holds up as that it's still playable and is nice looking, but it's not like the Quake expansion, X-Men Ravages of the Apocalypse, which is just a horrendous game. Little Nemo actually has redeeming qualities. So does it hold up? Eh, not really. But if you're in for a platformer NES game, check it out. Next week, Zach, I want you to play An American Tale, Fievel Goes West for the SNES 
Why do I want you to play this? Why not? <laughs> hey, it's a mascot platformer. You should have a lot of fun. I should. Now, if you want to reach out to the Classic Gaming Brothers because you want to tell us all about the retro games that you like, you can email us at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com. Or if you want to reach out to us to let us know how you already knew all this information about Super Mario Brothers 2 because it's been done by every YouTuber and podcaster, why don't you send us a Facebook message, a Twitter message, or reach out to us on Twitch or Instagram. Now, our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch are all classic gaming brothers, but our Twitter is CG Brothers Pod. So those are the things that you can do to reach out to us. Make sure to like us, subscribe, and do all those things. And also leave us a comment and a review if you can on uh, apps like iTunes and such like that. We are available on all the major podcasting applications, so be sure to rate us and uh, leave us, you know, friendly remarks and all those good things. We'll be very happy to see it. And also, yeah, that's it. I don't have anything else. Uh, Seth, do you have anything else? Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Seth. And I've been Zach. We've been the classic gaming brothers. That's right. right. right.